Welcome to the latest podcast from the Recruitment and Employment Confederation. We're bringing you the latest updates and insights from the world of recruitment to help you navigate these challenging times. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this REC Talking Recruitment podcast. My name is Kate Shoesmith. I'm one of the senior team here at the REC. Uh, I work directly with our members to provide support and insight as we enter this next phase of the global COVID-19 pandemic. Before COVID swept us up, I seem to spend a huge amount of time discussing the whys and wherefores of tax, um, and in particular, the dreaded IR35. I was talking about this with everybody from recruitment businesses to policy stakeholders and to candidates. I, I, I seem to spend huge amounts of time um, in all parts of my life um, finding out about IR35. Um, very sadly, pre-COVID days, I'd be sat in the pub occasionally talking with friends about tax principles and the ups and downs of going self-employed. Um, and for everyone, the main starting point of the conversation was often an element of confusion. So today, it is great to be joined by an expert in these matters, the journalist Emma Adjiman. Emma is the tax correspondent at the Financial Times. Emma was also named Business Journalist of the Year at the Words by Women Awards for her reporting on the loan charge and an exclusive interview with Mel Stride, the then Financial Secretary to the Treasury. Emma, welcome and thank you very much for joining us today. Hi, Kate. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Can I ask you a question? Is it just me that gets asked about tax by my friends in a pub? Does it come up for you? <laughs> Um, I definitely get asked by tax about tax um, in pubs, at weddings even. Um, so yeah, you're not alone, Kate. <laughs> Thanks for that. I don't feel quite so sad now. Um, perhaps let's just start off. Um, so it's fantastic achievement, the award you uh, won last year um, for the, the report on the loan charge. Why don't you just set the scene for us about that particular investigation? Sure. I mean, the loan charge, you mentioned IR35 in your introduction, and the loan charge is kind of connected to, to IR35 because, um, you know, IR35 has been with us for about 20 years or so. And um, basically, around the time that it was introduced, lots of contractors um, then as now were confused about what it meant for them. Um, a lot of people weren't quite sure what to do. Um, and a whole kind of industry sprung up about um, offering people what were apparently, um, you know, sort of legally compliant ways in which they could um, sort of manage their IR35 position. The problem is, as subsequently as, as, you know, become apparent, is that it was through sort of, you know, avoidance schemes, which basically were paying people in loans, because at the time, you know, the, the, the sense was those loans weren't taxable. Cut a long story short, a lot of people signed up. Um, HMRC estimates probably around 50,000 people at, at least um, took part in, in these schemes. But they were very hard for HMRC to actually sort of legally cite a problem with. You know, they kept on bringing these cases to court. They kind of kept on losing. So in short, it was a difficult area for HMRC to police. And then in, in 2016, the government today decided that they wanted to kind of just draw a line under this whole you know, issue and all the people that had used these schemes. And they decided to bring in what's you know, now called the loan charge, which is basically um, a, a sort of you know, backwards looking tax, taxing people on up to 20 years um, of the income they received through these schemes um, and requiring people to pay it all in one year. 
So, you know, that's that's led to a massive bills for, for the thousands of people that had used this. And as a result, you know, there's been a lot of um, outcry, outrage, people really kind of badly impacted. There've been sort of talks of bankruptcy and unfortunately quite a few reports of, of people having killed themselves because they faced this tax and they just had no way to pay it. So yeah, that, that's basically, you know, a very short introduction to the loan charge, um, which has been, you know, a, a really big story and is, is actually still very much ongoing. Um, the government's still trying to unravel this situation. Really interesting, because I think one of the things that that points towards for me is that how much uh, government policy, perhaps understandably in so many ways, is behind the times in terms of how the jobs market and how people are working and paying themselves. Um, And it always seems to be in catch up mode with um, what you might consider to be loopholes with really awful consequences um, when these things aren't thought through. I mean, what you were just describing there of how the impact it has on individuals. Um, We've clearly seen a a fundamental shift in um, how work happens now. Um, And there's been a lot of coverage in how the pandemic has also seen that move on. Mm -hmm. We're also facing a situation where we've got more change coming in terms of IR35. Do you you have any insights in um, how you see this playing out from in terms of the work you've been doing and the, the reports you've been covering? Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I think you make a really good point, Kate, because it is tricky. And, and sometimes it's tricky for government, it's tricky for individuals. And as you say, when when these things are not well thought through, it just leads to just more hassle and, and stress and the cost, you know. And, and I am somewhat anxious about the upcoming sort of IR35 changes in terms of, you know, how well they've been thought through and sort of what impact they're going to have on both businesses and individuals. Because, I mean, I think it's fair enough, you know, you can argue that, you know, the government has a, has a right and to decide that they want to tax people a certain way. They Previously, um, individuals have had to decide their, their, their own tax status, but now the government's decided that they don't think that system is working very well. And, you know, there's, there's issues with people who are not declaring, they say, um, you know, properly. And so they want to pass on that um, decision making about people's employment tax status to the the companies that are actually hiring these these contractors and so you know that is is a fair enough um, outcome if if you will but the issue is it's a very complicated tax and unfortunately you know there is a great deal of complexity in, in the relationship people have with their hirers it's not necessarily a very equal relationship and there's a there's a real risk that some sort of individuals who are, you know, would be considered self-employed are basically going to be made um, considered employed for tax um, just because their hirer can't really get to grips with the complexity and just wants to kind of simplify the position um, by just, you know, saying, okay, well, you know, we're just going to consider you an employee for tax purposes. That way HMRC won't come after us. Um, So, yeah, I I do, I, I, I am concerned about that. I know it's something that um, before the whole coronavirus situation happened, there was a lot of discussion, you know, disagreement about um, the House of Lords had a had a report into it, the Lords Economics Committee, um, saying that, you know, it wasn't very well thought through, it was going to cause lots of issues. But the government decided that it is going ahead with it, but it's actually decided to just push it back a year 
um, given the coronavirus pandemic. But those problems haven't gone away. <laughs> so, you know, 20, April 2021, we could be faced with, you know, all these issues coming to a head at a time when possibly and, and probably likely the economy is still going to be struggling. I think that's very likely. In in many ways, um, the, the fact that they did pass it back. So it was originally um, on the table to happen in April 2020. And um, us organisations like the REC and others really pushed for there to be a delay given uh, what was happening with the coronavirus and the like unprecedented impact that was having on businesses and we just wouldn't have been able to cope with the rollout so the best possible position we could get to was an April 2021 um, rollout which has been confirmed because it's in the Finance Act that was published over the summer Um, and and I think it was always going to be on the cards because you had a situation where they'd already decided to do this in the public sector so it was only a matter of time before the off-payroll rules had to catch up with the private sector. Um, I, th- I think you're absolutely right, though, Emma, is that there's a, there's a fundamental point here is about um, the, the liability and the responsibility um, moving from the individual to the end hirer, the, the client, um, as um, we would call them in many instances. But understanding who that is and, and why they need to be responsible for it is going to be critically important. And what we can't figure out is why they there hasn't been a full impact assessment um, in terms of what's happened in the public sector and the impact of the changes in the off payroll rules. Um, and and do, did you see anything particular in terms of that change in the public sector? Did anything come out in your investigations there? Yeah, I think there were real issues with how analysing the impact that the changes had on the on the public sector. Um, I mean, I only came relatively recently to to sort of covering this area, you know, as a journalist. Um, so I actually wasn't writing about tax when the public sector changes were brought in. I think it was in, in 2017. I, I actually started this um, role I have now in, in 2018. So I, I kind of have only seen it from the private sector, um, you know, discussions. However, I certainly, since, you know, covering it, I've heard um, lots about the impact that it had in terms of um, apparently delaying projects, you know, people, lots of um, contractors just decided they didn't want to work for public sector clients. Um, a lot of them moved into the private sector as a result. Um, and that had a knock-on impact on on certain um, projects and, and um, you know, re- really important areas such as the NHS, you know, transport. So there has been a worrying sort of degree, um, the impact that it had in the public sector. And arguably, there hasn't been enough um, sort of understanding of, of what that impact was and what can be done better. Um, that was something that the Lords also picked up in, in their report. Um, and it was something I think the government did agree they would do um, a review into sort of how well it works in the public sector. But again, you know, coronavirus is another thing that it's put paid to that for the time being. I'm not quite sure when that um, this sort of impact review is going to happen. So, yeah, in short, um, there are issues and um, the, the risk is if we just don't learn lessons fully from the public sector changes um, and then we go into the private sector changes and, you know, that, that's not going to be good necessarily. Yes. And and I think the next iteration of that, so you mentioned about how 
um, people moving from the public sector into the private sector. And one of our concerns is you've got the um, almost the perfect storm of this happening alongside um, Brexit and renegotiation of bilateral trade deals, whether it drives individuals to go and seek work in other countries. Um, and that will be something that's it. So you have highly skilled individuals who have um, the capabilities and the skill requirements that are desperately needed in the UK. Um, and it was, it's just worth us seeing how that plays out because we did absolutely see a shift in terms of the recruitment businesses placing people where candidates were making that choice to move from public sector roles into private sector roles as a direct result of the IR35 changes. Um, let's hope that there is that um, fuller evaluation and the House of Lords committee inquiry is really interesting um, in terms of that. If I if I move us on slightly, um, a particular area that has come up during the coronavirus crisis has been um, the government support schemes and about how that's worked. And, and I was interested to read one of your articles um, earlier um, this year is in April, which is about um, how limited company um, directors hadn't been covered as fully. I think Mel Stride was particularly putting across this view. Um, and, and can you explain a bit more about that? Yeah, no, I mean, um, so basically, the, the government has said that because they were pulling together these schemes at such short notice, they couldn't include everybody so for example I'll go on to company company directors in a minute but I mean one sort of other big group that was excluded from say the self-employment income support scheme were people who were newly self-employed and so they hadn't actually put in a 2018 to 19 tax return yet and because the government didn't want to sort of I mean they say I mean it was totally understandable in some area in some way they didn't want to um, be open to sort of fraudulent claims from people who were not self-employed but were saying they were just to get some of this money they said that they would not look at people who were who hadn't you know previously put in an 18 to 19 tax return and that meant that you know through no fault of their own people who I don't know had, had recently come off and um, been employed somewhere perhaps have been decided to set up their own business um, go into business for themselves they're just completely um, unable to access either the employment scheme, the job retention scheme, or the um, self-employment income support scheme. And so that has been one group of people that were badly affected. And likewise, company, direct company directors, the government has said that, you know, they can't tell the difference between whether somebody is getting um, dividends through investment um, that they do on the stock market, for example, or through claiming um you know basically the way they manage their own tax affairs in their in their own company um and so for that reason they'd said that they're not going to be able to offer anything to company directors in the way of support but um you know these are people who really you know small businesses um they're the backbone of the economy and they haven't been given any sort of provision so apart from you know being able to claim universal credit just just like other people have been able to but you know arguably there should have been more done for them and um it's interesting you say as you pointed out Nels Stride, who up until very recently was the treasury um a treasury minister and is now the the, the head of the treasury select committee 
when he was in the treasury you know he wasn't <laughs> you know we're talking about loan, the loan charge um and people paying themselves in dividends and things like that when he was a minister that wasn't something that he seemed particularly keen on but since since he's now here chairing this um committee he seems to be at least you know speaking out for these people that they also need some support so um yeah that that's really kind of what's happened and and, and unfortunately there doesn't seem to be any sort of changes on the horizon for that group isn't it interesting how a politician um, can um, change perhaps in terms of that affiliation, um, particularly when they become a con- um, they're more concerned about uh, being a constituency MP and representing their local people um, as opposed to the minister with a, a very clear brief on what the yeah. government's agenda can be. Yeah, absolutely. So, isn't it always interesting? Um, I, I think the point you make about the role of small businesses in the economy is essential. Isn't there's some there's some statistic that 99.9% of us work for an SME in the UK and they're just so fundamental and it is such a shame. I do understand why you have um, a constraint on a uh, scheme that was put together in really short order and, you know, government did well to get it together in the time they did, but that that lack of support in terms of um, the, those audiences, the self-employed, um, newly self-employed and limited company directors, it does seem like that's going to be something to watch out for, I'd imagine, in the um, in the sweep up, if you like, of what happens next around COVID um, and the economic impact. So perhaps is there anything that you at the FT have been seeing there in particular around that that sense of um, the overall impact? Yeah, I mean, um, I, certainly in terms of the self-employed, I mean, I, I'd noticed, I think it was, was it earlier this month, um, you know, the Office for National Statistics said that there had been um, something like 250,000 people fall in the number of self-employed people um, of that of that much um, just in, lo- in the second quarter of the year when lockdown was, you know, was was particularly stringent. Um, and that, that is a really big, big sort of impact because, it's, you know, before um, the coronavirus pandemic, the number of self-employed people was, was steadily ticking up. Um, I think it was about 5 million or so people before, um, the pandemic hit and you know that was a trend that just kept on sort of moving upwards it just you know due to various reasons you know the gig economy um, people wanting to work for themselves more perhaps like millennials you know having side hustles all sorts of things that number just kept going up and then suddenly as a result of the you know the economic crisis but you know also no doubt because of some of the lack of resp- of support um you know, people just there's been a massive drop. So I think that is that is you know something that we could see more of, and that could potentially have a sort of knock-on impact on you know how well the economy sort of recovers and how well businesses are able to get people in to do jobs because maybe they they want to take on full-time employees um, in this environment. They prefer having you know contractors or self-employed people to come in do a job and then and leave so yeah I think that could be as you say one to watch our data is definitely showing that um the the uptick in terms of employer confidence is 
around hiring is more around taking on temporary contract freelance uh, workers for exactly those reasons. And and there's a and there's a twin impact where people are actually seeking that type of work given everything that's been going on. Um, so so many people are having to suddenly turn into home um, carers and teachers and those added responsibilities on top of earning a living. Um, so so there's definitely a, a drive there and it will be interesting to see what type of comeback we have from um, this recession. Um, so lots be made of um, what type of, whether it's a V or a U or a, a Nike swoosh type um, uh, comeback from this recession. So really interesting. Emma, it's been really great to talk to you about um, those areas. Um, I was Interested when I said at the beginning about the award you um, won um, last at the end of last year, um, the Words by Women Award, and I was reading about why that particular set of awards was founded. Um, it seemed to be because it was counteracting the preponderance of men being shortlisted for honours in the journalism sector and um, less than one third of the nominees for the British Journalism Awards in 2019 were women, I read. Yeah. So, Given that um, uh, diversity and inclusion has become so important um, and Black Lives Matter has been elevated to a whole new level this year for totally understandable and really important reasons, um, we're working quite hard on why building uh, diverse and inclusive workforces um, is, is not just a nice thing to do anymore. It's, it's about being the right thing to do and it's about having um, business benefits do you, do you think business has responded enough to this so far? Um, um, do you think it's going to be um, even more important in, for the future of work or how do you see it working in the future? Yeah, no, I think it's um, it's a great question, Kate. Um, and, you know, as you say, I think the pandemic and, um, you know, I mean, Black Lives Matter and, and the killing of George Floyd, I mean, that was was pre-existing. There wasn't anything to do with the pandemic. It's you know, structural um, racism and um you know that that has been the issue and it just doesn't seem to be to go in the way so i think that this year has just you know it's been a, it's been an opportunity for for you know the whole world really to sort of think about um some deep seated issues and inequalities um and how to overcome them and i do think that it's good that there's been a lot of um you know businesses sort of talk in the talk but the, the issue really is going to be in, in actually what they what they do um because it's all very well you know putting a, a statement out but um they really need to look at within and in terms of how they um both recruit you know diverse talent how they support um people when they're within their organizations kind of what they actually um, follow through on in terms of the way in which they run their business. So, I mean, I, I think personally, you know, that's a good thing. Um, I think it's it's a fair thing. It's um, too often people, it's people who, you know, minorities and and women um, kind of bear the brunt of structural issues to do with racism and sexism and um, homophobia and, you know, all sorts of things. Um, so, it should be that the, the you know sort of people everybody should be thinking about these issues it shouldn't just be dependent on on people from those groups to uh kind of fix it it's it's something that affects the whole society if if it if only you know it has a, a bigger and more detrimental impact on certain groups 
um, we all sort of lose out from uh, people, you know, being killed before being killed, like for for no reason. Um, you know, if not there's any other good reasons, but do you see what I mean? Like, um, it's just wrong that this is happening, and it shouldn't be happening, and it, and it's a loss to all of us. So I think that societies and um, in particular the workplace can be a good counteraction to that and um, if businesses are serious about it then they should really um, not just stick with the fluffy stuff but make sure they do the hard work um, day to day with with people within their company and outside the company you know who are affected by these issues. I think you're absolutely right. So the, the onus is on all of us, um, and that's, that's so important. Uh, at the REC, we have a code of professional practice that um, our members must abide by, and they're tested on um, their legal and um, ethical uh, requirements of working in recruitment um, uh, in order to be a member and to stay a member of ours. But actually, the whole movement has made us reflect on the guidance that we put alongside our code um, around the diversity principles. And it's beholden on us to, to really set out what's best practice so that um, recruiters can be there as a, as a almost a, a partner and, and a consultant to, to their clients and to their candidates in terms of what good looks like in terms of recruitment. And, and there's no excuses anymore, really. Like we have the technology to, to enable there to be diverse and inclusive recruitment practices. And, and, and we need to move away from uh, just a, a, you know, a sort of sense of the excuses that have been there um, previously, because the, this needs to change um, and, it, and it really needs to change now. So it's so important. Emma, thank you very much um, for talking um, with me today. It's been, it's been great to catch up with you. If people wanted to find out more about your work, where should we direct them to? Sure. Um, and thank you very much, Kate. It's been great talking with you too. Um, in terms of finding out about my work, I mean, the obvious place is um, the FT, the Financial Times. Um, you could just put my name into the search bar there and, and it will come up with my articles. Or you can also follow me on Twitter. Um, my handle is e at Emma Adjaman. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, and thank you, everyone, uh, for listening today. I hope that uh, many of you will join us at one of our upcoming IR35 events this September. The first one is on the 16th of September. Um, and if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, of course, you should be listening to some of our others. Um, we've recently spoken with James Rook at Sanctuary Personnel, um, who talked to us about what the future holds for health and social care in recruitment um, and there's episode 34 which was um, Neil Morrison from Seven Trent Water who was talking about how they've been taking a lead on tackling youth unemployment. Thank you again it's been great speaking with you Emma and goodbye for now. Thank you for listening we hope you found this episode helpful head to our COVID-19 hub on www.rec.uk.com forward slash COVID-19 for the latest guidance on managing your business during these unprecedented times.